It's Willie D, y'all, back with another episode of information and instructions to help you navigate through this wild, crazy, beautiful world. In the studio, Doug E. Fresh. Wow. <laughs> Say, man. <laughs> What's up, King? How you doing? Brother, I'm blessed and highly favored, man. And so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. To your studio. And I think it's uh, very, very, very classic. Before we start, I seen you had different pieces of equipment up there that I have not seen in a while. I seen some classic uh, equipment recording things in there. Uh, are you a collector? Brother? No, but that, well, that, that would be Mario. That oh, would okay. Be, yeah, that would be Mario. Right. Mario is into collecting. Mario is one of those old school cats that, that keep the... Keep the classic stuff alive, right? You know? The authenticity, the, yeah. the quality. I I could not yeah. believe the 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 condition it was in too. Yeah, you know. So yeah, we we got we got to do our part, man, and, and to to not just be flies on the wall. We got to be intentional about making sure that people remember, you know, who started what. You know, they got to remember the foundation. Yes, sir. You know. Uh, Oftentimes we just sit back and we we just watch, we observe, and we complain about what's going on in in music or whatever. But we can actually do something about it. We can do our part by making sure people don't forget the people who laid the foundation. You know, like this is my I'm doing my part right now, mm-hmm. like having a conversation with you. I, you I know, appreciate that. One of the one of the guys who, you know, put that brick, put a few bricks in the in, in the house of hip hop, you know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir. And how does one come from Barbados and end up in New York City uh, making hip hop <laughs> with a guy from London? <laughs> how does how does that happen? Man. Well, hold on, hold on. I know, I know, how it happened. Well, it started out on Eighth Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> when you made up the name called a Get, Get Fresh Crew, crew. it was you, your two DJs, Chill Will, Chill Will, Barry B, and your right hand man Ricky, Ricky D, That's who is right. known as Slick Rick today. That's right. Yeah, man, and you used to rap and sing, make sounds and things. <laughs> For example, here's a telephone ring. <laughs> is uh, Willie D there? <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, Say, man, I just had to do it. Has anybody ever did that before? Nobody. Nobody. Only <laughs> you. It was right Only there, you. man. It was like right there. I was like, I'm going to get him with Only this one. Only you, bro. <laughs> Only you. Only you, man. Yeah. But, you know, I tell you, man, it's um, all of us have a story. Everybody has a story. And everybody, to me, everybody's story is important because sometimes when you hear that story, you can see yourself in the story. Mm. And my story is really just, I come from a West Indian family, uh, from Trinidad, from Barbados. Grandfather comes to America, wants to do something good for his family. You know, my my great-grandma and my grandfather probably met at Cropover, which is a celebration in Barbados, or it could have been at Carnival, which is in Trinidad. I never got the true full story on that part, but the connection. And then the family starts building in Harlem 
And he starts to build so much. And you're around music, food, culture. And remember, Harlem was the rise of black people. Everybody uh, was, was, was migrating to Harlem because they seen it as the land of opportunity. So I think that from the Caribbean, they came because they knew and they wanted us to be raised around that kind of celebration of us being us, by us, working with us, you know. So long story short, I went to school there, man, and I mean, you know, and I was raised there, and, you know, my brothers and sisters and all of them contributed to me learning about hip-hop. And when I learned about it, a lot of people may not know because some people got into knowing who I was when the show came out. But before the show, you know, I was already very popular on the East Coast because of me creating the beatbox. And also when I did the movie Beat Street with Harry Belafonte and made much respect to him Mm because he just transitioned, you know, and he was very instrumental in me being in that movie. And he said, look, when we do this movie, I need this guy in it. Like, he's seen something in me that that he wanted me in this movie. And Harry Belafonte is the continuation of Paul Robeson, who was the poet, the actor, the singer, you know, and the activist. So he's that continuation. And as I connected with him, I feel like, I'm the continuation, meaning because I agree with that style of being, using all your gifts. And I thought that what you said when you opened up here was brilliant because, you know, you're using your gifts to uplift your people and making them aware, and all people. But if you don't use the gift for that, I think in a way... It's kind of like a waste of the gift, you know what I'm saying? So me doing hip-hop has been bigger than me just doing hip-hop. The contribution I made to hip-hop is bigger than just me. It's, it's about making it so that everybody know how possible the impossible is. Because it was impossible. Nobody thought that this was possible. Especially when you create something that didn't even exist. The beatbox only came out, that part, the fifth element in hip-hop, only came because of, you know, just the necessity. Like I say, necessity is the mother of invention. So, you know, they cut the music program in my school. And I used to play the trumpet. (laughs) And when they cut it, I replaced the trumpet with the beatbox. And I started just creating it. And then after that, practicing. You know how you used to practice rhyming in there and the DJ would be cutting it up and y'all just be practicing when they break the music down. And I don't know how 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 wide your audience is, but they may remember a cassette tape. You know what I mean? So you put the tape in there and we make tapes and we would practice. And in between the practice, Barry stopped the music with Will, and I just started beatboxing. And he was like, yo, what is that? Yo, that's crazy. Then his mother commented on it and said, what was that? That was a nice beat. He said, ma, that wasn't a beat. That was him. 
And then after that, she said, well, I don't know what it was, but it was nice. And then she left out the room. And he said, yo, do that again? Yo, you know what? You should call that the human beatbox. I said, I'm not doing that. Come on, man. That's just quick. I'm not doing that. He said, I'm telling you, man, do it in the big park at a jam. Because we used to do jams outside, you know. Well, I bet you when you did that for the first time, you towed that house Willie, up. it was so crazy. <laughs> Willie, I can't even, brother, you know how real we keep it. I can't even, I can't even explain. Cause I, and then he said, do it now. And he brought it down and I started doing it. I said, I got this thing called the Human Beatbox. Check this out. And I hit it. So everybody from the projects, from the streets, from all over there was like, yo, this is crazy. And then from there... My name started to just, it was like an electrical shock because you had the DJ, they knew about that. You had the MC, which is the master ceremony, which is different than the rapper because the MC used to have to know how to create the energy. Then you had the graffiti artist, you had the breakdancer, electric boogie. But then for this fifth element to come in there, it was kind of like a, a shock. But you would think about it when you and your boy be walking down the street, one of y'all be rapping and the other one is trying to figure out what is he going to do <laughs> to participate. You know what I'm saying? So then Rick heard about me and my name was like shooting through all over. And then he kept following me everywhere I go. Yo, I'm nice. Dude. I'm nice, man. I'm nice. And I'm like, yeah, okay, man. I know you nice. I seen it. But, you know, you thinking he only got one rhyme. You know, sometimes somebody say they nice. You know how it is. It's like that rhyme was good, but what else you got? So one day I went to Will's house and we went up there. And I seen him. He seen me in the street. Like we just bumped into each other in a very interesting way because I was going from a show. I brought him to the house. He started rhyming. I said, oh, no, he's nice. I said, he's nice. And then he turned around and everybody was in the room and we was listening to him. After it was over, he said, I told you I was nice. Like that, you know what I'm saying? And then after that, that's when I said, yeah, you Ricky D. I said, but your name is Slick Rick. And that's how it all started. You gave him that name the first day you met him? I gave him that name after I heard him rhyme. Okay, after, yeah, right, right. After right, I right. heard him rhyme, yeah. I said... I said, this guy's style is so different than, you know, most people's style that I heard. And then he came from London and, you know, when he connected and then his family is from Jamaica, you know, he's from Jamaica. So we kind of got into this whole vibe and started hanging out and started working together. As you know, when you when you first connect with someone, you see how how the energy matches. And, you know, from there, I, because uh, I was already in motion, I took money that I was making. First, I started putting them on shows with me. And when I started putting them on shows with me, we did Lottie Dottie a year or two before it ever came out. So when people hear it on record, we were already doing that at shows. And there's a part two to Lottie Dottie that we never let out. We would do it live but we didn't do it because he said a joke about Vanessa Williams and we didn't want to disrespect her. You know what I'm saying? So we pulled it back. Now, cats don't care about disrespecting nobody on the record. You know what I mean? But we felt like, nah, we're not going to go there. You know, Vanessa Williams is still Vanessa Williams. You know, we, we appreciate her. 
So we uh we did this song in a way where I had to go and do shows and I kept saving up the money and I saved up like 10 grand. And then I went into the studio and I told him, I said, yo, I got this idea called the show. He said, I don't, he said, that sounds whack. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Let me tell you how it go. Let me tell you how it go. He said, tell me. And I started giving him the idea. And then he said, yes. I said, well, just trust me. Just work with me. I said, and if it's whack, we just come up with something else. So I came up with the idea. He started working with me. Then when the show was done, he was happy about what it turned into. You know what I mean? And then we just put Lottie Dottie on the other side because we did it all the time. And actually, my manager at the time, he said, what's that thing that y'all do? Because all the kids are talking about it in school. And we said, um, Lottie Dottie. He said, you, maybe y'all should do that too. And we did it, and boom. And then when we let it out, it's been crazy, Willie. It was crazy. And, oh, and the part that was the most craziest in it, just to give you the last little piece on this, is that we took it to Profile Records. You remember Profile Records, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Profile Records was the 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 mecca at that time on hip-hop because yeah, they had yeah, Run DMC. Yeah, Dana Dane, Run right, DMC. Right, yeah, yeah. right. So what happened is I took it to them, and they said, nah, this record is garbage, man. They said both of these records is garbage. Really? Well, he said, he said, he said, both of them is garbage. He said, and after he said, both of them are garbage, he said, I was sitting there just like you sitting there like this. And I said, okay, I got it. He said, what is that guy? He said, that guy don't even sound right rapping. And, and, and what's that sound in the back? And he was talking about the beatbox. I said, <laughs> I said, well, that's called the beatbox. He said, what is that? And he said, and this guy, what is he? Well, I don't understand. I said, okay. So I found an independent distributor. I did a deal with him. I let it out. It exploded. He seen me in the Roxy, the owner of Profile seen me in the Roxy when the record was playing on fire, super fire. He came up to me and said, could I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah. He said, I got to tell you, I was so wrong. I was so wrong, and I wanted to apologize because I was wrong. I said, no, 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 no. You don't have to apologize. I said, you said what you thought was real. I said, I respect what you thought was real. I said, you, you were wrong about, your, about what you thought it was. I said, but I respect that you told me what you really felt. He said, man, this record is... I mean, I've, I didn't even really understand it, but I get it now. He said, get it. He said, do you think... We can sit down and have another conversation. And I say, well, I'm already doing something, but down the road, if the opportunity arises, we should sit down and kick it. And I said, uh, but I said, but sometimes you got to keep your mind open because sometimes, you know, just because, you know, it seems different, it don't mean that it's whack. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's... That's th those two songs, the show and Lottie Dottie, are arguably two of the greatest A B side songs in hip hop history. I appreciate. The only that. other thing that I can really think that can probably come close at all is "Dear Mama and I Get Around." That was an A side, B side. You okay. Know? Yeah. Wow. From Tupac. Wow. You know, 
Great yeah. songs, great. I mean, that's like, and Lonnie, Lockin' around was with um, that was with the he uh, did it, yeah, Digital he, Underground. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. Yeah, uh, right. So I don't know he because his time because he had was the, it, was, was it, I get around I get around yeah it was I I get around was on the B side maybe he did it he dropped it on his I need to check I didn't check that, that too because he, he probably that. put it out on his too on his right too. right maybe but, but I, I remember it was that A side A side B side was it you know what I don't still I can't, I can't remember but I know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to come back on that. I, mean, I, I, I may have misspoke on that, but I know Pac had an A side, B side, and I was like, I'm trying to remember what what the two songs was. Now, now I'm now I'm all scrambled. But yeah, in, in, yeah, any, yeah, in yeah. any in any event, th- those are two of the greatest songs in hip hop history. I appreciate uh, to that. be a, to be on an A side, B side, and to run the way it did. I remember Lottie Dottie playing on the radio for like six months straight in Houston. Six months straight. And I don't know about everybody else, but I never got tired of it. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you hear people say, "Yeah, I know." You know, I remember when Mind Playing Tricks had its run. We we ran for like six months on the radio. You know that that is like that's a legacy right there for radio. Good question, brother. Um, people will say, "Yeah, you know, I like the song, but don't you get tired of hearing it?" Nope. I say this is for all the times they're not going to play my music. That's crazy. And you know, when you love a song. When you love a song, it's very different. It's like you're not going to get tired of it when you really love it. I mean, how many times have you performed Mind Playing Tricks on me? You see what I'm saying? And when right. you get up there, you 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 feel it. You still feel the connection, especially when you made it from a genuine space. Mm-hmm. So... The show was created from a genuine space. Lottie Dottie was created from a genuine space. And and the majority of the things that I've ever created comes from a space where, you know, I'm going to do what I feel and it takes heart to do that. You don't, it's not, it may not be the most popular idea, but it was the, it's the opening of a new idea to exist because you're not just going with the norm. Like mind playing tricks on me. Look how relevant it is today when people are talking about <laughs> mental illness and all of mm-hmm. the different things that kind of flows around it. But at the time, you know, it's just that, you know, you, you got to genuinely see or if you don't see or you question in it for a minute. And then after you do it and you listen to it like Rick did, he said, yo, he said, no, you was right. He said, this one was good. And I said, it's cool. Because I know that you might not have seen it. And then even with Lottie Dottie, people don't understand the depth and the simplicity of Lottie Dottie. It's only two things going on. The beatbox and him. And me coming in each section of a rhyme. And then I got to change this beat at a particular time to keep you engaged but you're not knowing that that's what I'm doing because if I keep this beat the same and let him keep rhyming like he's doing it, it might throw you off. And then when I change it, then I'm coming back to it. Like, it's simple, but it's not so simple. You know what I mean? But the base of it is just, you know, you creating, you having fun. And that was the base of what hip-hop was, you know, it's always been to me, you know? You're creating, you're having fun, and at the same time, you're getting that message out. 
You getting that message in different ways. You using different techniques to deliver the message. Like this new way of you delivering this message. You still delivering the message. This is just a new technique that you using to deliver the message. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. right. I, I had a question, man, about the the beatbox, the human beatbox. Uh, yeah. What, what's the guy named that that from the Fat Boys? Buffy. Buffy. So Buffy. Uh, Beep did a lot of beatboxing, and yeah, people, yeah. people thought that Buffy had, was, the guy. was was the originator, right? And I remember you saying, <laughs> "I'm known for the <laughs> not for the <laughs> you know like <laughs> that was a diss, man. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say, bro. <laughs> that was well, that was well, a diss. It was, it was a little bit of a diss. I got to keep it a hundred. A little did, bit of a was, diss. Was, did Buffy ever ask you about it? No, 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 no. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. <laughs> they didn't do that. It wasn't. You know, actually, later, what happened is I wind up doing the song "Put It Up Stick 'Em" with Prince. Marky D and Cool Rock Ski, and I performed as if I was Buffy yeah, with the Buff Species because, you know, when he passed away, because he was a good person, beautiful person, beautiful spirit, you know, I felt like, look, just in the in the tradition or in the nature of what hip hop is. Cause the dissing we was doing is fun. We're not doing <laughs> it to fun to you. Right? <laughs> yeah. well, see, on you. Well, I come from a battle era. <laughs> like I come from, I mean, I go back in this to 81, Willie. I was on the side of the stage when Cool Mo D battled Busy B. I was in that same contest. But man, that but that part, that part where you was like, uh uh uh, uh <laughs> say man, that's that's one of the most subtle disrespects, and most people probably didn't even catch it. <laughs> you know, but that's uh, one of the most so subtle disrespects in hip hop history. Well, well, no, no, no. But you got to see this part though. I had to separate what was going on. Cause look, I'm telling you, you want to, you know, you want the truth. You want the real truth. Do you Nothing know? but the truth. The whole so truth. Help you okay. When you create something, right? And this is done, and I'm saying this from a from a very honest spirit, and it's not an attack towards him or anybody. But when you create something and someone else, some some sometimes a person believes someone else created it, you feel that you have to make people at least know when you when you're you know, when you're younger, sometimes even when you're older, like where did this come from? You know what I'm saying? Like, wh who created this? Why? You know what I'm saying? And so Buffy had a strong management team. He had a strong label, you know, meaning they were called Disco 3. Then they became the Fat Boys. They were like more of a... The management took him down a road where he was marketing them as fat boys, you know what I'm saying? Because he's seen them as being more successful as that than Disco 3. The name Disco 3 was the first name, first name they was rapping as, and you could see that was more of a hip-hop slash old-school kind of name. So what I'm saying is, is that I know that the idea came from what we created because it didn't exist before we created it. You see what I'm saying? Barry said the name Human Beatbox. And Human Beatbox, the name came from 
us remembering Grandmaster Flash on the beatbox. So instead of it being on the beatbox, we he just came up with it off the top of his head and said human beatbox. He just came up with it like there was nobody else there in the room. You know what I'm saying? And then after it was introduced, I introduced it in 82. So when I introduced it in 82, that's why Harry Belafonte in 83, we shot Beat Street. But it came out in 84. So in between, you're doing shows with Funky 4 Plus One More, Treacherous 3, Fearless 4, Hollywood, Lovebug Starsky, Busy B, Cold Crush. So you building your name. That's how we were taught in hip-hop in the beginning stages to build your name brick by brick. Not the record. You're going to make a record, but you got to earn your stripes in the street. Club performances, parties and stuff. So after all of that you do, and then someone else is questioning, did you get it from him or did he get it from you? But mm. you know he got it from you. You don't want to attack him. But then back then, the technique we would do to keep hip-hop pure was, and you know this, it's like, yo, you biting my style. He's a biter. Meaning that the person is taking what you created. But it was only done to trying protect. Trying to pass it off as their own. Right. But people don't know, as we got, as I've gotten older and wiser about this, it was basically a protective mechanism for hip-hop. Because what it was doing, it was stopping us from copying each other and making us be more creative. So we had to find other ways to, to do what we do. We can't... We, there's already uh, a Love Bug Starsky. So... I can't be Lovebug Starsky. You see what I'm saying? I got to figure out how to take what I see about Lovebug Starsky to another level. How could I learn from that style and add this piece to it to expand the style and turn it into something different? So when I, when I discovered the beatbox or the beatbox discovered me, it was like a whole new world. Like there is no beginning to my style. I'm the beginning of my own style. So when I did that... And then someone is saying, or they're, or they're giving off the impression, yo, he's that guy that created that. And he is, you know what I'm saying? So psychologically, me coming from the battle era, I'm looking at it like, I'm not trying to attack you, but I got to separate what we do so that people say, you know, this is what you do. This is what I do. And when it's time to battle, we're going to see each other and we'll straighten it all out if that's what we got to do. But I wanted people to know, you know what I'm saying, where it came from. Because I felt like, you know, and especially back then, you feel like when you create something, you want to be acknowledged for your creation. Now, I don't feel the same way about it as much. I feel like there's a lot of ego in that, but I also feel there's a lot of history in that to know where something came from. Because I think when you don't know where something came from, you're making up what you think. So I felt like it was important when I did that to show people the difference between the two and at the same time still go hard with my style, you know what I'm saying? So it's a very interesting thing. Like, I don't know if you do this, but I look at things 
in a way where I kind of say retrospect, where I'm going back and I'm going, okay, I did that and I made this decision and now I can understand how the decision, why I did it at the time. Sometimes you could see where you was emotional, like who you are now, you wasn't 15 years ago. You see what I'm saying? You have probably created and became more of, of you know, if you learn from these things, you become a better you. Or you could stay that way <laughs> that you were, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, and then it just became a good thing. Like we, we um, creatively, I also felt like in hip hop, it was good for us to battle. It was good for us to, to challenge each other because it made us better. It was like boxing. It was like yeah. a fight, you know what I'm saying? And it, and it was better than us killing each other which is why hip-hop started anyway. These guys was fighting and killing each other. Gangs from Brooklyn was having beef with gangs from the Bronx and Harlem. Guns out, everything. Kids. And all of a sudden, yo, we're going to battle dancing. We're going to see who can rhyme better. Let's see who can DJ better. You know what I'm saying? So it became a way of saving ourselves. So how do you explain the volatile climate today with our youth? who have all these options, they have options to right. to to rap, to beatbox, to DJ, to play music, to play ball. They have so many options, but they're killing each other like crazy. So right. how do you explain that? To me, what I see is that we have come to a point where vanity and ego and insecurity and drugs and mental illness and uh, money have become people's gods to the point that they have forgotten about the reason this was created. And some of them did not even really know the reason why it's created. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make money. I'm not saying that you sh you can't have a little ego. I'm not saying, you know, you can't put on something fly. Like, we, we love all of that. But I think what has happened is that this generation, whether they're drinking lean, whether they're smoking weed, which is some other kind of weed that they're smoking, uh, I think with the alcohol, with the pills... With the, with the social media, with the insecurity, with people looking at their phone and feeling like they're less than whatever they see. And psychologically, it depresses them or it makes them feel they have to do something extreme for the attention. I think all of these things compiled within our lifestyles and then, you know, being in the hood and you know, you don't have this kind of money or somebody don't have this job and you and you trying to play me like this or you trying to present yourself like for real, this is who you want to really come at me. You think you better than me. I think all of these things have kind of compiled to the point that it's not even about the art no more as much as it's about I'm using this art to create this illusion and, and hide my pain and, and be be this be this illusion that I want people to see, but when I'm by myself, 
I'm depressed. I'm not happy. Um, I'm dealing with what everybody else is dealing with. But on this phone, I can make you think my life is the perfect life. So I think these things are not, I think that they make us, there's a sickness in that. And I think from that sickness, now we are starting to kill each other. We have no patience with each other. We snap over anything. Words, talking crazy. See drivers, you know, somebody cut you off. Mother, man, what? You say something back. God pull over or he chase you. And he will bang his car up to get you. <laughs> because there's something that's snapping in people's head. So I think we're living in a time where who we are now, we really have to look at ourselves a little bit more. And we have to try to find the tools to help us become better people. And not just look like better people, but become better people as who we are, as people, you know? And we have to take the time to work on ourselves and, act and actually be honest on who are we. Why are we so jealous of our brother? Why is she so mad because this because so and so got this award and didn't get that one? What is what's what's underneath that? You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying some of it is not justified, but the action is so extreme. And I think it's because of all of these things coming at us at the same time. And the last thing I'll say is I think that it happened before COVID, but I think that COVID just compiled it and like took it to another level because you suppressed so much and now you're out. And then while you're out, you still not where you want to be. And you was just with yourself in these dark times. Family was sick. You got sick. Certain people died that you cared about. You know, you can't handle it. I think all of these different things that are going on is causing people to react in the way that it is. And I see it in hip hop. I see the health of artists dropping tremendously. See, I'm looking at you, you know, you've always kept yourself in pretty good shape, bro. You know what I'm saying? And we used to talk about that every time we kick it and stuff like that, you know, and that's not important to people no more. They wanna take a pill that can make them lose the weight or they wanna, you know, do a, a, a some kind of procedure. So nobody is willing to confront the reality of a situation. They're looking on how to get around the work or confront the pain. So I just think that we are in a time now where we're seeing, in a lot of ways, the backlash of what happened with COVID. Like COVID has been so devastating in a way, psychologically, for a lot of people, that we don't even realize what it is. That's that's my opinion. You know, that's a great opinion, great observation, great assertment, man. Um, this man, it's gonna be tough to get over this, bro, because I, it's like there needs to be some inner work done, and there also needs to be some outer work done. And when I say outer work, I mean like. <clears throat> The community at large got to get back to like looking out for each other, right? Right. We're not gonna make it like that. Like we've always, even let's get just past the the color uh, 
barriers. Right, that don't like, even matter like, now. Like, <laughs> we're at a point to, bro, like right now, we're at a point to where uh, the society that we we live in, it, it's it's so far on that edge. It's like, like, I don't think we know how close we are to falling off that edge. Yes, it's like, and, and we and we have blindfolds on. Like, we've always been better when we come together. We've always been better. If you look at, like, in this country, oftentimes, the only time you see uh, black people and white people and everybody else getting along is when there's a crisis. When there's a crisis, everybody comes along because we know we need each other now. We Now we got to rely on each other right. because it's a crisis, Right. We we come together during crises, and we come together during sporting events, and and, right. and entertainment. We would come together for that, and then but the moment is over, it's back to <laughs> locking doors real quick. Can't trust you. You know, it's right back to that. You know, it's it's like it, it's something sick about that type of mentality to right. me. Right. right, it's something very sick about that type of mentality to me. And man, I I don't. I don't know. I don't know if we can overcome it because we're we're continuing to go further and further away from um, a moral compass. If you, and and the leaders, our so-called political leaders, they're using all of us as pawns. They are playing identity politics. This it's, identity politics start with them, not us. Right. So they can't get along, and it and they're lying on each other. <laughs> and they're stealing, they're corrupt, and they are telling us don't trust them. The other side is saying don't trust them. But both of them, they're all sitting at the same tables. They're eating together. They're laughing at each other jokes. They're having sex together. They they hang out. They vacation together. And then they come and get in front of us and then sit on, on different sides of the table and act like they're mad at each other. Right. Meanwhile, the country is falling apart. So, I mean, I, so so at the end of the day, all of us, I think, like I completely agree with each you, one of us. Each one of us, we got to look within and just, you know, like go for it, you know, uh, as individuals first and foremost. And, you, and, and let me yeah. interject right there, if you don't mind, because what you're saying is real. And uh, I think that one of our issues is is there's a there's a two things I want to add to it, and and if you allow me to add this to what you're saying, because you sparked uh, something in my mind. You know, when you go to the dentist, he numbs you most of the time. Very few people go to the dentist and say, I don't want you to numb me. Just do it like it is. The reason why he's numbing you is so that you don't feel nothing. And then after it's done and the numbness go away, you realize what he did. You could feel it. And I think what happened to us as a people is we have become so numb and we're continuing to numb ourselves by drinking, smoking, you know, sleeping with everybody, anything goes, uh, all these different things. And I do understand because if, you know, the dentist give you do the work without anything at all, you're going to be screaming and feel the pain right there. And it's hard to handle that pain. 
depending on what you haven't done. So you're just getting a, a cavity filled. So you don't want that pain. So you're going to do everything in your, in your power to deviate yourself from getting this pain. But the pain is really never going nowhere because even when you're numb, when it wears off, you're going to have to confront the reality of what's in front of you. And that's exactly what you're talking about right now. See, the world or the powers that be like us numb. They like us intoxicated. They like us, you know, hearing songs and there's nothing in it. For, for you. There's no, there's no nutritional value in this song. This song is like fast food hip-hop. Mm. It's no longer hip-hop that was created from a pure space like the story I just told you and the way we met and the things we did. You know, it's now something different. And now that it's different... It could be used as a manipulative weapon to control people. Actually, in a way where I don't even have to control you no more because you're on automatic. And then after you're on automatic and you're numb, mm -hmm. you ain't feeling nothing. And you don't want to feel nothing because the reality of life is hard to deal with. You know, the different things that are going on in our lives, your health, you know, brothers don't want to go and get a checkup. Because they numb to it. I didn't know where you have a stroke. Everybody's shocked. This person never went to get a checkup in 15 years. You know, his heart. He had a heart attack. This happened because you're numbing yourself so much and you're trying to get away from reality, but you can't get away from reality. You know, when you've seen what happened with George Floyd, that's been happening. But you were numb. You just now, now, because you had a minute to sit back when COVID was there, everybody wasn't numb no more. You see what I'm saying? They were home and the reality of it was like, did you see this? What is this for real? And now everybody all over the world is disrupting because the Novocaine wore off. And hmm. then after, they'll find another Novocaine for you. Young kids drinking lean. That's cough syrup, man. That's that's codeine, I believe. I don't even, I think it is. And then you take it out and put it on top of pills. And then you put yeah. weed on it and alcohol. Come on, bro. You know. We, we, we are numb, brother, because they have many examples of some of our hip-hop heroes dying using that stuff, and they still doing it. Like, we, we got some obstacles to overcome. I want to talk to you about Church of Scientology. Are you yes, a member? Are you are a member? Yes, you, I study you. Scientology. Okay, so t tell tell me exactly what that is. Like, I know the dictionary would tell you that it's a cult, a business, or yeah. you know, a religious movement. But what what exactly is the Church of Science, uh, Scientology? Scientology is the studying study of knowing how to know, and there's divisions of it that teach you how to know about whatever it is that you are doing. For example. So it's not some type of spooky thing? No, 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 no. Because no. that's what they... they well, you know, they said that spooky. about the nation back in the days. They thought the nation yeah. was, a, was, a, was a killer 
cult and black people were walking around, and they said that about that. They said it about the Black Panthers. They said it. I mean, anytime maybe it's the gatekeepers trying to protect the, what they already have and make, make right, sure that they got the right, minds of the people. Right, right. Nobody they don't. Want, they want to keep you numb. They uh, want to keep you numb. So in this case, you know, me being a guy like creating other beatbox and creating a dancing Dougie or bringing Rick together or having two DJs at the same time when nobody ever seen that ever happen and stuff like that. I've always been a very, I'd have to describe myself as a person that I follow my spirit and my instincts. So Isaac Hayes, a long time ago, told me about this and he was actually it was a young lady I was I was talking to artist named Miss Jones and she worked with Isaac Hayes at the radio station and so one day she was going to go and check it out so as me being the man I am I just went to go support her you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying like what is this let me check this out so I went over there and they had a little course for $35 I said hi you know I could use I could try this I did the course And when I did the course, because I was in there with her, I tried it out. Because Isaac, you know, Black Moses. I said, let me see what's going on. Black Moses is over there. (laughs) So what are they teaching you in these courses? Well, that's the question. See, here's the answer is that what they did is that these are courses about natural laws. Laws that govern nature. Like laws that have been here before and and in this and in this technology that they that you're using in Scientology, it's just laws that was discovered by this brother L. Ron Hubbard, and he didn't create them. He just discovered it. So when you look at these laws, they're natural laws that you cannot get around. So it was put in a systematical formula for you to study. Now the part that was interesting that caught me was when we read a book, a lot of people talk about how fast they read. Or, or you know, I read 10 books, I read 15 books. How much of that book did you understand? How much of that book were you able to uh, utilize? How did you put this book into practical action to be able to use it? So in Scientology, there was a technology that they came up, which was to teach you how to study. Now, we all come from schools where when we grew up, they was like, if you if, if Joey is in the ninth, is in the eighth grade, look, look. <laughs> You're in the special ed, buddy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and the bus is over there. Everybody know what the deal is. Now, yeah. once again, is this a coincidence or did they set us up and we don't know? That's for you to decide. But. Me being the guy that's proactive in changing my condition and the condition of my people, I have to go where sometimes people don't go to get knowledge or to get something that needs to be got and bring it back. So, long story short, I seen this technology on studying. Now, I was a pretty good student in school, but... I knew guys that was real smart, smarter than me. And y'all got him in a special way class, and that dude know his way around the hood like nobody. You know what I'm saying? Man, that's crazy. You know, uh, I'm telling the you, truth. Are you familiar with Dr. Boyce Watkins? Yes, 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 Dr. yes. Dr. Boyce Watkins was in special ed, brother. They had this man in special ed for several years, and he was like, the teacher sent him to special ed and told him that he he would never uh he would never make it to college 
right. or any of those type of things. He ended up being a college professor. Family boy, y'all better get some second opinions on these kids when these 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 teachers and uh, counselors start telling your kid telling you that your kid needs need to be in special Come ed. Oh man, you get you're saying your kid yeah. got ADD, but you're not even taking into consideration what's going on with the kid. Did did you, are you giving him a lot of sugar? Is he eating nothing with nutritional value? Is he reading something and he's passing a bunch of words that he don't understand? And then he's trying to get what you're saying, but how can he get it? You're saying that he has all these different issues and you never really had him looked at properly. It was excellent points, man. It's, you know, excellent I'm telling points. the truth. So I said, what is that? And let me take that and bring it back. I look at myself as in a movie. Some people may not understand, but brother, I feel like, and you one of these guys too, to me, the spook that sat by the door. There's a movie where this guy went, got involved with the CIA. Now, the movie is not the most happy movie. You're not going to walk away going, you know, like it's a celebratory ending, whatever. But he took this technology that they had and he brought it back to his people. Use it against him. Right. Yeah. And I feel as a person who's been following the nation since day one, who have been moving with the minister and who have been moving as a kid when Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, was 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 the one who was guiding everybody. When Malcolm was there, when Muhammad Ali was there, and then you got Minister Farrakhan. Elijah Muhammad has to be something very special. He had private conversations with Martin Luther King. He had private conversations with James Brown. I mean, so the nation has had such an impact on our lives directly and indirectly that people don't really understand the magnitude of what the nation has done and why it was so important for this particular nation to be there as well as the Black Panthers and all these other organizations. But most of the time, when anybody get up and rise up against this system that we were just talking about, they are always the ones who seem like they are wrong. They are bad. They are this. Like, the system love Malcolm X yeah. now. But when Malcolm X was talking, you, you could study this. You could see that they had nothing but bad things to say about Malcolm X. But when he, when him and the nation split, yo, we love Malcolm. Malcolm here, he's a part of the study curriculum in college and stuff like that. Not to say anything about Malcolm, because Malcolm is obviously, we know what he represents to us. My only point is, is that sometimes you have to find information in places where people don't think you should find it. And sometimes there's something there that you might, you know, you may be able to use if you are not so fearful. And what happened with us sometimes is people control us with fear. I have never been a person that had a lot of fear. You know what I'm saying? I'm a different kind of dude. But I'm also wise enough to see game. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we grew up around game. So this technology in Scientology has, has created some different tools, because this is the point I was going to make. I think that the problem that we have 
in reference to the things that we just discussed is we don't have the proper tools to handle what we're going through. So people are making tools. Man, I'm going to drink this whole pint of Hennessy, and I'm feeling better right now. That's his tool. It's not the wisest tool, but it's a tool. Now, imagine if you could not, you didn't have to use that. And you say, yo, I'm going to go take a walk. That's a tool to clear your mind and kind of like not be in a dark room forever. And you just go take a walk, a simple walk. And it shock you. Maybe if you change your nutritional program and you start eating a little bit better, you'll start feeling better. Hmm. You know, what if you exercised a little bit more? You know, nothing crazy. You know, you might take a little walk. You might go and dance. Let's say you dancing at a party, you know what I'm saying? But you you just playing good music and you burning, you know what I'm saying? So these these are tools also, but we don't use those tools, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> man, those are excellent points, man. It's, it, I'm, I'm, it's beautiful how you broke that down, man. We, we can have some positive tools or some negative tools. It's all the way, it's all about... <laughs> how we process that pain or, or that struggle that we're dealing with. Right. In 92, you signed a deal with Hammer. Yeah. How was that experience? And that, that was, it was short-lived. It was only right. like for one album, right? Yeah. Yeah, how was that experience working with Hammer? At the time, Hammer, Hammer was like at the top of his game. Right, and that's, you know, you know, you know my brother, I'm going to tell you, when I got with Hammer, I got with him because my situation that I got into with this brother, he didn't have enough power to give me enough promotion and enough of the things that I felt that Def Jam and other labels was getting. And I felt like, you know, all of the time and energy I put into my craft, I wanted to have it come out through a better distribution system, which you always, you you know, you know what's up with this. So Hammer and his brother, his brother Lewis, they wanted to sign me, and I said, you know what? This might be even a good, a better thing, too, because we'll have the East Coast and the West Coast together. And that was another important move for me because I felt the tension. Tim Dog made a negative record about the West Coast. New York was getting upset about the West Coast. And then the West Coast was looking like, yo, we're going to respond you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to say something back. So I seen this tension. I said, if me and Hammer get together and he's successful and I'm successful, we can make an impact and change everything. But the timing of it was what was wrong because right when I was finishing my project, Hammer's label got dropped from Capitol. So Busted Records got dropped. And Lewis was there, Hammer was there. We were all tied in together. And they was a part of making this this, this historical connection. Because, see, I seen the beef. I seen the jealousy. I seen that little sickness that we have amongst each other. I seen it. So I said, if we got together, it would be great. Even though we 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 have different ways of expressing ourselves, this could still be successful. So when we got together, we were getting ready to do the project. We were finishing it. And then right after that, Hammer's label, Capital, cut the legs off of him, which I thought was crazy. I didn't know about it. I was in Jamaica. I came back. I heard that Capital left him alone. Then he had went through the whole thing with the bankruptcy. And I got to say this, man, Hammer 
and his brother, I could never, I've never seen guys go so hard to support everybody in their community. I mean, they took gangbangers, drug dealers, people who did time in prison, people who was trying to figure it out. He went back and got everybody jobs. He had everybody on the road. So it made me say, this brother here is the kind of brother I want to run with because I could tell his spirit is good. You see what I'm saying? And so when people see the bankruptcy thing and all of that stuff like that, all of that is a part of the game too because everybody don't understand how much Hammer was taking care of people without any money being seen, putting people in yeah. houses, all kinds of stuff. So I just feel like we didn't get to do what we wanted to do, but, you know, we gave it a shot and the intentions were sincere. You know what I'm saying? But I just think that still to this day, we have a strong brotherhood. And I see a lot of people that he had around them when I'm traveling. They're all successful in different places. And that's what we don't talk about. You see what I'm saying? That's the part we don't talk about, how much he's done for so many people. And that's why I keep saying that when we're going back to this numbness and the media and what they want to promote, they ain't going to never tell you about how many people Hammer helped. But they're going to tell you he went bankrupt. It's crazy. Well, the thing about bankruptcy is that, hell, <laughs> you know, United Airlines have went bankrupt, I don't know, two, three times. You know, right now, Bed Bath & Beyond is going through a bankruptcy. Wow. Bankruptcy is part of business. It's a part of life. You know, it's not something even like uh, uh, credit, and loaning, loaning money, you know, borrowing money. It's all a part of business and, and everyday business. Right. Companies, corporations, they borrow millions and sometimes billions of dollars. Uh, and this happens all the time. I remember growing up, I always thought that if I have to borrow some money some, from some from somebody, that that means I'm broke. There's something wrong. Some, <laughs> something is wrong, right? So the first... Uh, Part of my life getting money, man, I just use all my own money for everything. And a lot That's of things I, mean. I was just trying stuff out and and I was just losing money left and right. And had it been their money, I could have lost that money and still had mine. <laughs> and all they get all they get is some paperwork and after seven years it's a wrap. Right. But I didn't understand that back then. But you know, I got with my buddy Will um, Roundtree out in Las Vegas, he's a cold dude with that finance stuff. Oh wow! I got with him, man. He turned my life around with my finances. He showed me how to, how to, how to deal with credit. You know, he didn't just. You know, most of the time when you have credit issues, you take it to somebody to repair it, and then, you know, after a few more months, it's back. You know, you get what you want, and then it's messed up again, right? Right. Well, that's what I had done year after year, and you know. I, and then one time, I finally said, you know, I got to get this right, man. I wanted to get it right before my kids knew I, I was stupid with credit, right? Right, right, right. I had right. to get it figured out right before they got grown. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let me. Because they, they just looking at daddy, they, daddy, yeah, daddy, yeah, daddy. Yeah, right. And they're not going to listen to me. If, if, if they, Kids, they, 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 they respond to what you do, not what you say. They watch what you do. They and so watch. for my thing was like, you know, I want I, I don't want them to know anything but the right way. And like daddy got it, he know. He figured he he know. 
So they don't even know that. But what they know now because I tell them, I talk right, to them right. about it. Because that's good information too now. Yeah. You see, to see daddy like that, because I've done that to my sons, to mm -hmm. show them, you see, I did this, and this went wrong, and this and this and that, and then I expose myself, I make myself vulnerable to make them understand that whatever they're thinking about, you know, you could avoid this, or if you're going through something like this, you could tell me because maybe we could get the tools. Figure it out. Get them Together, tools. Because yeah. you're talking about you talking about a master finance guy, and that's the problem with us all the way around. We do not have the tools. Yeah. And you knew you had to get the tools to make this work. Because how you gonna do it? They don't teach they didn't teach this to you in right. school, right? Right. One thing that I, I, I learned about uh men, period. This is men. Mm -hmm. A lot of times men do not ask for advice from other men because we figure like, you know, like he's a man, like I'm a man and you know, I make my I make my own money, I make my own rules, I make my own decisions. I don't talk to another man about my business. I don't want nobody in my business. But women don't make as many mistakes in most cases. Women don't make as many mistakes because they go into the tribe. When they got an issue, they finna talk to eight, nine, ten, twenty-five people, however many they need to talk to before yes, they, they figure do. that they need to make go ahead yes, and make the move. Now, after they talk to everybody, they might still make the wrong move, <laughs> but at least they, they did the work. At least they are going to consult, right? And and that, but I learned over time, like talk to the people who've been where you're trying to go. That is the easiest way. To, to get from one point to the next. You know, have a mentor. I agree. Or, or, or a nurturer, someone who you know genuinely, you know, they have these experiences that could help you because they've been through it before. So that's, that's what I feel we are to this generation in hip-hop. You know, I'm looking at it as, I've been doing this since 81, man. I come up to different people and I tell them, I say, you know, when you did this, you should have done that. And, you know, you may want to change this because I did this before. And make sure before you get on the stage, you check your mic and make sure your battery is on. You don't want to go in the middle of your performance. I remember the Wu-Tang Clan when they was first coming out and I loved the Wu-Tang and I was around them and I would say, I would see them on stage, and it'd be like 15, 20, 30 of them on stage. So the sound man is the guy in the house going crazy. He don't know who's who. And then all of a sudden, Wu-Tang after it was over, the sound man messed him up. The Wu-Tang going there and thump him out. They'll be beating up sound men. So people start like, yo, I don't even want to book Wu-Tang because I might get my ass beat. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know. So one day I pulled them over. I said, yo. I said, look. Because I started seeing them. Like, I'm like, like people like, I don't want them here. You know, so I, saw, I said, look, bro. I said, I got a solution for y'all. I said, Dougie, you, you know, you, you a legend, baby. Tell me, man. Tell me. I said, y'all got at least 50 dudes with y'all. I said, why don't we take two of them and turn them into sound men? And then they know y'all. And they know who's who. And all we got to do is put them behind the, the thing. And all of a sudden, they're going to just turn it up. And they just learn a couple of that's things. That's brilliant, man. That right, was so, a brilliant And he said, they said, you know, that's a good one. That's a good idea. Yo, so-and-so, so-and-so. Yo, yo, y'all going to be sound, yeah. man. Because it was like such a big crew. But I feel <laughs> like, I feel like if I didn't say, yo, Willie, I feel like if I don't say something, to my fellow man, 
white or black artists or whomever, I feel like I'm not being real because I'm pretending. I used to tell Rick Ross, I went to see him. We perform at FAMU together. I say, yo, Rick, what's up? We coming to tell you fresh. I see you got on that Gucci. I said, oh, I said, yeah, I appreciate that, Rick. I appreciate it. I said, I said, but I said, but I came over here to ask you, how you doing? What's going on with your health? He was on the plane. He was sick. He was having seizures and all this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? So I said, yo, Rick, you're an important guy. You may, I don't know if you have diabetes. I don't know what is going on, but you know, maybe you might want to get a nutritionist. Maybe you need to do this. And you know, we still having a real conversation. It wasn't about this and you know, the numbness. We, this was no Novocaine conversation. This was like, and at the end of it, I remember seeing him. He lost all the weight. His health got better. He was rolling. And it wasn't about the conversation, which we all think we have to talk about, is money. You know? And we think that that is the, the main conversation. How much you got? Yo, I wonder how much that watch. What he got on? Yo, what is it? Yo, where he live? How many houses? How many cars? Nah, bro. We got to talk about things that carry way more. Like, like, I've watched people with money be so sick that they can't even enjoy their money. No enjoyment. Willie, no enjoyment. I did a show one time for a billionaire. This guy's in a wheelchair. His wife was down there dancing with some, her friends and another guy dancing or something like that. And he, took, he told me to side. He said, yo, man. He said, yo, man, I'm telling you, man. He said, I give all of this up, man, just to get my legs back, man, to be over there dancing with my wife. He said, you don't know how it is, man. And I'm just sitting here, man. And he said, and I need help to do this and do that. And I think that we, I think we're, we have things as priorities in the wrong order, you know. And I tell people, I say, yo, brother, your health is your wealth. And you can get wealth from your health. But how you don't enjoy any of this stuff? So I just think that we don't have the tools. And I think us as artists, us as opinion leaders, us as, you know, what I call servants of the creator, we have a responsibility to share this information. Sometimes they're going to think we crazy. Sometimes it ain't going to work for them. Do, do 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 we do we do we not have the tools or do we just don't know where to find the tools or we don't we have them but we don't use them? I think we I think they're there but we don't use them and I think in some ways, brother, I think some of them were hidden from us for a reason, and I think that when we find them, we need to let everybody know. Yo, you use this and this is the way it go. You know what I'm saying? Like if you go back historically, when. You know, Harriet Tubman was doing what she was doing. If, if, if you study her or anybody studied her, they thought she was crazy. They thought she was crazy. And they was, they was like, yo, I'm a snitch on her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And some of them was like, okay, if you snitch on her, then I'm, 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 you got to go. Like, she figured something out. She took a chance. She figured something out. And she started taking everybody with her. And I think that's the way we got to think. I think you got to have that mentality. You got to take everybody with you that's ready to go. And if they're not ready to go, you know, you leave them alone because they may not be ready. But those that are ready, 
we got to take them. So as much information as I can give to someone and as much fear as I can remove from something, because I think we are sometimes very fearful. I think we're a fearful people. We, we have the tendency to believing, you know, this house is haunted. There's a ghost there. You know, there's this, there's that. And we don't want to confront those things. And I think we have to, you know, those that are willing to confront it, you know, we got to pull the curtain back. Like, look, you see there's nothing here, right? You ready? Let's go. Like, you have different people on different levels emotionally that are at different points in their life. So those that have the ability to 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 show, you know, the strength to push things forward, I think they should. And I say, I always say I take responsibility in doing this. And when I did hip hop, when, I, when I've been doing hip hop since a kid, I never thought that all of this would lead to this. So now that I see it, I take responsibility. And taking responsibility means to me having the ability to respond. Because I can't allow somebody to make the same mistake that I made. And, and I can help you avoid it. Here's one story, too. You may like this one here. Eric B. and Rakim, they are like my brothers, right? When they was coming up and they had their first single out, it was on fire. Check out my melody, Eric B. is president. They was tearing the streets up. It was on fire. And we knew this new style was coming. We knew Rakim style was coming. And we knew the production with Eric B. was coming. And obviously, whatever hand Marley or MC Shan had in it, we knew that there was something special about it. Long story short, <laughs> Eric and Rakim wasn't getting along. So I said... Look, and Eric used to come by my house all the time. He'd come there, see my mom, see me, whatever. And Rakim, we knew him just because he was out there in Long Island, but me and him became very close before touring. So he sat down one day. I said, yo, brothers, I said, I got to tell you, I know that y'all are having a problem, but you must make this album. Nah, man, you know, he think he's just... Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, look... I don't care if I have to go to the studio with you, but I'm telling you, this album is going to be one of the most important albums you have ever done in your life. And which album is this? Paid in full. Bingo. Brother, <laughs> they did not want to work together because there was that thing. I said, bro, you got to trust me on this one. Trust me, please stay together and finish this. He come by, play some music, talk. They, and they go, all right, all right, all right. I said, just, tr just trust me. Hey, do you need me to go? And after, afterwards, the album was done. The album blew up and changed the course of the way hip-hop is done. And to this day, me and Eric and Rock him. We're still very close. They still have their personalities of the way that they deal with each other, but the work got done. And I felt like it was my responsibility to tell them that because I've been through a situation where me and Rick split and we never got to do that work. 
And so I seen this same thing happening to them. So I felt I'm going to tell you about this before you get to the point where we got. We don't want to do this again. So I feel that is what we supposed to do. We supposed to share these stories not like we hating and talking about somebody or, you know, all of that emotional, you know, like illusions that's going on in your mind. Nah, be we using this experience to better the experiences moving forward. And it did. Because now, <laughs> look at where we at. 50 years of hip-hop, Eric B. and Rock Kim, some of the greatest songs ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, indisputable. Where, where, where is you and Slick Rick right now in your relationship? I know y'all you, you you performed the other day together. Right. Right. Yeah. Y'all, y'all were supposed to do individual shows though, right? Y'all, y'all merged it yeah, together. Yeah, we we don't never do individual shows when we together. Yeah. If if, yeah. You, if somebody put y'all on the same ticket, y'all gonna bring it together. We gotta bring it together. So there's so, no so, possible way that we would do that. That's not even logical. Right. You know what I mean? That's that's disappointing to the audience that's there. It would be very right. disappointing. Like, why would we do that? would be right. selfish to me. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, where we are as people, Rick has grown a lot. I've grown a lot. I mean, you know, when the show came out, I was 17, 18, you know. And, um, you know, we have we have learned a lot about life. And I think that we have... Man, man you were that young? Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm the. I, I mean, technically, you know. I mean, because when I did that deal, Willie, I I owned my masters, because because I paid for them. I took that ten and I put it up. So you own the masters to the show show yes, and Lottie Dottie. Yes, sir. What 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 about rising to the top? That too. Everything. All right. That too. Everything. Nice. <laughs> hey, that's what I want to ask you about. I want, I want, I want to ask you about rising to the top. You use ain't no half stepping. That same year, uh, Big Daddy Kane used half, <laughs> ain't no half stepping. We, did you? Who used it first? I, well, I, I know I used it. I can't say first. But I think my record came out before his. Yeah. I think it came out before his. But I think he just had this a similar idea because you know we didn't hear each other's stuff. But Kane and me are super tight. Kane used to spend the night at my house and we would be in there practicing and I would tell him different things to try to make sure his show was incredibly strong. And his show is strong. I don't know if you've seen yeah. him, but oh, he's I, strong. He's yeah. real strong. Yeah. So, but we would, I would hear his music. I would go see him. And when I go see him, I go in the audience and watch him. And then I come back and tell him, and I would tell him things he didn't want to hear. He come out, he'd be like, yo, how you thought the show was? I'm like, it was okay, it was all right, but you, you know, he'd be like, everybody going crazy. Why are you the only one? Why are you, you a hater, you a hater. I'm like, that's what I'm I'm like, hold on, hold on, come on, let's go back to the house, let's go back to the house, and let me show you why. And after that, I started showing him, and he'd be like, okay, I see now, oh, wow, that's right, and then boom. And then afterwards, he started coming out, and he is strong. You know what I'm saying? So, but it's the same with me and Rick. You know, with me and Rick, we, you know, Rick trusts me when it comes to orchestrating and putting together these performances because that's the school I come from. You know, 
I learned things about performing that people will never learn. I used to I used to tour with the Gap Band, with Confunction, Roger Zapp and Roger Troutman. You know what I'm saying? That was a point I was going to make too. You have the type of stage show, right, where you can get on stage with anybody. In fact, it doesn't even have to be a musical performance. No. You have the type of stage show that you can actually get into a boxing ring. You can walk onto an ice hockey, uh, you know. Uh, it doesn't into an, matter. You can walk into an ice hockey arena. You can do just, hell, you can you can stand outside a, a barbecue and just <laughs> watch this. Whatever, man. And that, that's, that, that, that has to be a great feeling that you can just get on stage with any anybody in any genre and do your thing and get paid for what you love doing. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, I appreciate it, Willie, but, you know, I'm going to tell you, like, and it, and it really, I think the part about it that makes it the best for me is that it never has anything to do with money. Like, I toured with Prince from 99 all the way until he passed. What? Me and Prince toured from 99 to him transitioning. I was probably with him maybe a month or two before he passed. We performed in Baltimore when it was a riot because he was very, he was he was an activist on 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 a very subtle level, and he would use his music and his relationships and his conversation even as he got older to share a lot of his point of views, like owning the master. You know, he would we would go around teaching young brothers and sisters and artists who would come out about owning your master. Instead of, he say, you should own the master instead of the master owning you. What do you think about all these artists uh, selling their masters now? They're selling their publishing, actually. They're selling their publishing to these companies. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? You know, I don't know anybody's financial situation. You know what I mean? And I always take that into consideration. You know, your family could be sick. Your mom could need some help. You know what I mean? So I think decisions are made based on individual circumstances. So I never look at it as a collective, but I think if you have the ability to hold on to it and you could pass it on to your family, I think that that would be a wise decision. Or if you took it and turned it into something else and made it, an even greater investment than it makes sense too, because now you know you took this thing you naturally had and turned it into something else. Like I'm not, I have this ability and I look at life like this. I like to be attached but unattached to things because I think that a lot of these things that we become so attached to, you know, sometimes you may need to let them go because sometimes everything ain't meant to hold on to. But everybody's circumstances is different and everybody feels a certain way about their music or their creation. With me, with the masters, you know, I paid for all of the stuff that was done. And then years later, you know, I gave Rick half of the master. Hmm. I gave him half of the master. He was just looking at the master for Lottie. Died. I said, no, no, so you have the half of the master, both of them. Even the song Freaks with Lil Vicious, I gave him half of the master. The brother um, Unique, who I did song uh, when I did AOI, who was a part of the chant idea, you know, I gave him ownership. Like, you can't take none of this with you, Willie. None of this ain't, what are we going to do? I mean, you might as well share it. Like, why is it that you're trying to take it all? 
You know what I mean? Even with Will and Barry, you know, I'm setting them up so that they can have some of it. I just feel like we, if your circumstances put you in a position where you need to take this and change the conditions of your life so you can have quality of life, because I think that's what this whole experience is about. I think at the end of this experience, we want to say we had quality of life. What's quality of life? Your health, mentally, physically, spiritually, your relationship with your children or your wife or your significant other or whomever you with, your relationship with your brothers, your sisters, your family, your friends, the people that you grew up with, that you feel solid with, the relationship between other races of people because they are on this planet, whether we believe it or not, there are multiple mm. races, so you <laughs> can't exclude them. You know, your relationship with nature, your relationship with God, if that's what you believe in. Your relationship with money. If you want nice things, you want a car, you want a house, you want this, you want that. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with that. But I think when it becomes overwhelming and that becomes your God, that's when it's a problem. When you start, when you when you thinking about going to buy a car and your brother has mental ill problems or something, or he has autism, and you might need to hire someone else to come and help take care of him. And you rather buy the car than to look out for him. Or you got a physical problem, and you rather buy the car than to handle your physical problem. Then I think it's a problem. Well, maybe you got to buy the car to get to the doctor's. Well, <laughs> well, let's buy a little car. Don't buy a Bentley to get to the doctor. You're pulling up in the doctor. I needed this. I needed this Bentley. I couldn't get to this doctor without this Bentley. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you can if you're gonna cry in a Lamborghini, you know, what, what, that was uh, some type of uh, video that was floating around uh, <laughs> that was asking women did they would rather would they rather cry in a Lamborghini. Uh, Honda or something like that. And it was, well, I guess well, I don't want to. Most of them were like, "Yeah, you know, I'd rather cry in a Lamborghini." Well, what about not crying at all? I'd rather not cry at all. Man, man it's That's well, funny. Uh, have you seen the the new edition shows? Any of the new edition concerts? I just went and seen them, man. Okay, so did you see Bobby dancing? And then he stopped. Yeah. Like, he just gave up on dance. He waved it off. And like, man, like this. I, ain't, I ain't finna do this shit. Right. I, I ain't doing this shit no more. Like, right. No, yeah. he did it like, I ain't messing with y'all. I ain't right. messing with y'all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now that's a dancing perspective, okay? Now, uh, like Bobby, you, you mentioned Big Daddy Kane. Yeah. And Big Daddy Kane has dance elements in his performance, right. like you. But he pulled back on yeah. some of them, like he that pulled split. Back. And this is what I, yeah, he pulled back <laughs> on the split. I talked to Big Daddy Kane yesterday, and he told me about that. He said he, say, he, say he wanted to do the split, but he thought about it. He said, nah, I ain't, going, a, I ain't going there. Nah. Do, do you having uh, dancing Big being a, a huge part in, in, in your performance? Right. Uh, has the time come, you know, you're getting up in age, you know what I'm saying? You still look good. You mm -hmm. still be performing and you're doing right. your thing. But has the time come to where your body sometimes betray you? No. Hey, is that good? No. You still got it like that. Brother, you're I'm feeling sorry. good. So, look, so so, you ain't got the icy hot zone in the dressing room no. after after you do your show? No. 
No. You ain't, you ain't, you're not in that holding, catch, trying to catch your breath. People trying to meet you, uh, meet, no. meet you, and they got to wait. Your manager no. outside, don't say, hold on, wait. Nah. Let him get himself together. Nah. You're not doing, <laughs> you're not doing none of that. Funny. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no. I can't, I look, and I'm not saying it from any ego perspective, but like I tell you, man, your health is your wealth, and you get wealth from your health. And I really know that formula work. So I'm sharing this formula around the world. Like I have a foundation with a doctor called his. I call him Hip Hop Doc, but his name is Doctor Williams, and he's from Nigeria. And we got this thing called Hip Hop Public Health. It is a foundation that we created a long time ago, 13, 14 years ago. We go to schools and teach kids about, you know, what to eat, exercising, going to play, not being on your video game, making a move. And then we go and teach them tools, back to the tools. Because childhood obesity is crazy, man. It's crazy. Willie, it's crazy. Are little kids, kids receptive? Little, oh, yes, because we use hip-hop in a way to teach them. And we got the beat rocking and the rhyme. So he gives me the information. I'll write something with the information and make it slick. For example, like, I don't know if you see, but there's this overwhelming impact of strokes that's hitting everybody. Stroke is like at the top of the, you got diabetes, you got high blood pressure, and you got heart disease, but stroke is, is, is a very big thing happening. As you know, We've had a lot of artists that have suffered from this. So what we would do, or what I did is I'll come up with the things that you need to see to identify a stroke, and I'll make it slick. So I'll say F is for the face, because you see the face droop. A is for the arm. You can feel something in the arm. Um, S is for the speech. The speech will start to slur. T is for the time. Time to do what? Call 911. So then we take these kids and we do we do this with them at the schools and we have Easy AD and Artie Green and these artists who I know are really solid guys going there, thousands of kids, hundreds of thousands of kids. One day a kid's grandmother was having a stroke and he took that formula that I gave him yeah. And cool. saved his grandmother's life. That's too cool. And it happened more than once. And he took these tools, saved his grandmother's life, and now, you know, he he was the guy who, you know, his grandmother loved him, but she loved him even more because she got him to the hospital, got her to the hospital before it can get to that level where there was no return. Because the stroke is the number one disabilitating disease in the world. And when you have a stroke, you're never the same. What's the name of your foundation again? It's called Hip Hop Public Health. Hip Hop Public Health. You right. are the new Sesame Street. <laughs> because, you know, that, right. that was right. the cool thing about Sesame Street, That's man. Right. Like, it made you want to learn. Like, even, well, let me put it like this. It made you want to watch it. Right. And you found yourself learning stuff, like, not even realizing that you were actually learning things. Right. right? And that was the cool thing about it. Like, because kids, you know, like, when they get involved outside of school, they really don't want to be learning. Right. They don't want to learn. They want to have fun. Right. So you made you found a way to make it fun. Made it a for them lot to of learn. fun. That's dope. And they, and they love it. And then I'm and then now I'm talking to and then I'm talking to their parents. And we're having another conversation. We're talking about getting a checkup. You know, like 
What is what's so bad about? I mean, I know everybody's afraid to get a checkup, but think about what happens if you don't. You know, an ounce of prevention beats a ton of cure. If you run around here and you're hiding from yourself and you don't check yourself out, you're gonna you're, there's gonna be a consequence. You know, we lost Kango, and much respect to him and his family. He had colon cancer. He was on the phone talking to me before he transitioned, and he told me, he said, Dougie, I want you to make sure you tell everybody to get checked. He said this was avoidable. That's what he told me. Then you got brothers that got prostate cancer. Nobody want to talk about it. Or no, don't have prostate cancer. They don't get their prostate checked to see if there's something wrong with their prostate. When you're getting a little older, you got to go take a you got to urine. And, you know, you're wondering, why is it so hard for me to urinate? What's going on? Well, why don't you just check it out? So if you check it out, you can prevent yourself from having prostate cancer. Or you're wondering why your mouth is dry all the time or you're feeling certain symptoms. Hey, one time this brother, DJ Hollywood, the first MC in hip-hop, and that's a whole nother story, but he's the first. He came to my house because I learned from him. He came to my house. He said, man, Dougie, my eyes is blurry, man. Yo, I don't know what's going on, man. I'm driving down the street. It's like the whole street is kind of blurry. I turned around. I said, yo, I said, gee, go get the sugar test. Go get the little sugar tester. Tested his sugar. Sugar was like at 500, man. I said, yo, you need to go to the doctor right What's now. What's normal? Normal is 100 within maybe 90, depending on the levels, but it should never drop lower than that. Maybe 110, 120. It, it, it fluctuates throughout the day according to what you eat. But 500 or that kind of number is an emergency. When he came in there, they put him on insulin and they said, yo, you know, you, you can lose your eyes from diabetes. You see what I'm saying? People get their toes cut, their legs cut off. You know, I got another friend of mine. He, he's staying in Virginia. He had diabetes, he, he's had diabetes and then he, they told him he had it. He kept eating certain things that he should not have been eating. Willie, up in there, they found him. His daughter was calling for him, couldn't, couldn't get him on the phone, sent the ambulance up there. His, his sugar was 1,000 or 1,200. They took him to the hospital. They said, we got to take two of your toes. He called me back. He said, yo, I don't know, man. Yo, yo, they took two of my toes. This is crazy. This is my dude I went to high school with. He said, they took two of my toes. I said, yeah, man. I said, that's crazy. He said, yeah, man. He said, and then he started trying to make a joke like, yeah, you can call me Yoda now. You know, he say that. And I was like, yeah, okay. I said, I'm glad you're in good spirits. I said, but you know, you got to make some lifestyle changes. You see, because if not. Because next that foot go. The whole then, foot. Then, then the leg. And then then arm. Then, you know, then a finger. Then another finger. Then, then the, the hand. Then the arm. Yeah. And it becomes this whole thing. So. I felt that one of our biggest problems as a people is our health. And that is what's really affecting us, even the, even the younger children. I mean, I've never seen this many cases of autism us, with us growing up. Why is that? It's interesting. I heard that it was, I heard that that was something that was self-induced. You know, like, like I heard that them people did something. 
and and and, and I don't think they and, think and, we're and crazy, a, but their guy, people are real people. But there's there's a guy who worked for the CDC. They he dead now. I say they killed him. They probably killed him. But the guy was going to expose where he exposed him, mm-hmm. and uh, next thing you know, dude ended up dead. But he was saying that yeah, uh, they he had had information that the people that worked there was like yeah, they acknowledged that there was the black kids were getting uh, autism disproportionately. And they knew what was happening. And they were saying that the immunizations were doing, were causing, they, they, they were the catalyst for the um, autism. And they knew all yeah. that time and they continued to inject them babies. Like Tuskegee. Like Tuskegee. That's what scares people. That's what really. That's the thing that scares that black people. people. Not want to go. That's the thing that scares black people about going to the doctor is because of that history of using black people as guinea pigs. I agree. I agree, and that's why we have to be wise in who we go to mm. and who we choose to. Yeah, go Yeah, because to. not going is not an option. Right, not going right. is putting us in a situation where some of us are, you know, we're gone too soon. You know, like even when you're looking at going back to the point of Bobby Brown, you know, when I seen him on stage and then when I was in the audience, because I like watching shows from the audience. I'm not the side watching show guy. So I'm watching the show and I'm going, people love Bobby Brown. For real. I mean, For real, like, real. we <laughs> yeah. love Bobby Brown. We don't care if you yeah. do one step. We don't yeah. care if yep. you just said, because Bobby, you put it all out on the line, and yep. we appreciate you. And we don't agree with all your decisions you made, yep. but you you did what you wanted to do, and you st- you took responsibility. you standing up for it. And we've seen all of these tragedies happen in your life, and you still up there. You still performing. Bobby had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Bobby had different things going on with him. And he's on the other side of trying to get himself together. So when I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the audience and the love, we got to say, yo, you know what, Bobby? You ain't got to dance too much, bro. Because we don't want you to hurt yourself, bro. Right. But we appreciate just seeing you. You know what I That's mean? That's right. That's and right. That man, the, shots out to the king, man. Yeah, shots king out to stage, Bobby man. Brown. That's king my guy. the stage, man. And nobody yeah, ever right. going to take that for right, from man. him. I mean, and he's a, my and, friend. And a, and a shout out to all the guys at New Edition, man. New Edition, like, for us, for our generation, you know, that's, that's family. Yeah. You know, that's family. And for future, you know, generations that came after us also, that's family. Like, New Edition, all of them guys. It's like our brothers, you know, man. The, you know what that, I'm saying? That's family. New Edition is family, man. And then Guy and, you know, yeah. and Teddy. Teddy, yeah. I, when I made the show, I went to his house. Yes. So Teddy is like my little brother. Yeah, shouts out to Teddy. You know what I'm saying? Teddy is Aaron, a good dude. Damon, yeah, Did man. so much, so much work, man. Keith Sweat, brilliant artist, oh, Tank. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Those guys, to yeah. me, just seeing them out there working and watching the audience feel good, hearing these songs and getting these memories and just being there with somebody that you really appreciate, that's what this is all about. I think we, I think we get lost in ego. And I always say ego stands for easing God out to me because you get so caught up in your own personal emotions, which is nothing but energy in motion. And you get so caught up in it that 
Yo, who they think of? What? Do you know who I am? Do you? Uh, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes you just, you're so caught up in that that you, you're, missing, you're missing the moment. Like the moment is here. Like, bro, we here. We celebrating black excellence. Look at this. These dudes came from the same place we came from. And look at how successful they are. You got the black collective promoters. This is a whole black experience, y'all experience. And you don't even know it. Like black promoters got together as a team. And then one of them is from, from H, is Gary. And he's a good man. Like that whole team got together, put on this show, put the tour out, and everybody is getting money. We could do it. We just got to stop being so fearful, man, and stop being so hateful and jealous, you know what I'm saying, and get caught up in, like, the past. What, what Doesn't that jealousy and hatred come from fear? Yes, it does. It yeah. breeds the, the, the jealousy, or rather the fear, breeds the jealousy and hate, mm -hmm. you know, like, it's just this little thing. Like, Rick got a Grammy. Slick Rick got a Grammy, a Lifetime Grammy or something like that. Cass was asking me, yo, do you think you should get a Grammy? I said, man, I'm not, that thing does not even mean nothing to me. If they did it, I appreciate it. Thank you for the acknowledgement. I said, but I just wanted to go support my brother over here. You know what I'm saying? I went in there in the audience. I'm sitting there watching. I come about this. He said, oh, man, you came. Oh, wow. His mom is there. His wife is there. The family is there. It's just that little moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these things really don't have no value. They really don't. The only value they have is the energy that we put in into it. And to your point, if we if you're lying on your deathbed, you know, you're not gonna say, Hey man, let me see my Grammy. Bring my Grammy up here. You're gonna say, Let me see my guy. Right. Where's my sister? Where's my brother? Where's my mother? Where's my best friend? I wanna talk to them. Right. That's who you're gonna ask for. That's, That's what means important. the most. That's what means the most. When it's time for you to go and you ain't got no more, <laughs> how do you want to be remembered? When it's time for me to go, you ain't got no more. And I don't have no more. I would want to be remembered as someone who contributed to this experience in the best way to make things better for the next group when they come to experience it, to stop this inner hatred towards each other, to stop being afraid to express yourself and take a chance and be who you really are. Stop hiding. Stop, stop being in the corner and believe that you can't contribute. And I mean that mostly to blacks and Latinos because I think sometimes we feel afraid to play this game called life. But I think on a whole, you know, I feel we can, I feel like I want to make sure that everybody on this planet is affected by the contribution that I'm able to make, whether it's from health, whether it's from hip hop, and whether it's just from conversations like this that we're having and maybe they could take something out that they can apply. I want to be a person that they know. Call me the hardware store because I wanted you to get some tools so that you could survive because life is not easy. 
this is a tough ride. And our mothers and fathers didn't tell us it was going to be like this. You know what I mean? But if you're able to just keep yourself together, you know, and you practice healthy practices and not always have to lean towards the things you got used to or you was introduced to, hopefully it'll be a better ride for you than it was for me. And then you'll pass it on to the next person and that'll make it a better ride for them. That's what I feel we're here to do, you know? Right. I got one more question for you. Yes, sir. Something's been nagging me for years. (laughs) (laughs) I see it. Your name is Douglas Davis. That's that's your government name. No. What's what's your government name? My name is Dougie Fresh now. Well, when your, I was your, when, I, your, when I was younger, right? It was Douglas Davis, right? Right in the beginning. Did yeah. did and most most people I know that have a first and middle name that's a uh, first and last name <laughs> that starts with D. Family call him Didi. Did, well, did they call you Didi growing no, up? No, you never no, had Didi no, growing no, up. Come no, on, man. Be honest, dog. That. Be honest. <laughs> Go on, be honest, man. Did they call you Didi growing up? Nah, 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 nah. And you know what's so <laughs> look, and you know what's so crazy. The only reason why, well, beyond just that, but you know, Davis was was um, you know, like I never knew who my father was throughout my life. I just found out who he was probably around six months before he passed. So I never knew who my father was. So the name Davis is not my father. Mm, see. Okay. So that's why. So that was easy for you to get rid of that. Well, I had to because I felt like I didn't even know him. Right. Like I wasn't raised from him. I didn't even know who he was. This was a relationship. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like number four in the list of five with my mother. So I never knew who my father was. So when I didn't know who my father was, uh, I felt like to have that name and I don't even know who the man is didn't logically make sense. And then the interesting twist in this is that back to hip-hop for a second, in school, I used to battle people in the lunchroom. So I battled three people in the lunchroom at the same time. And we would cut school, we would cut class because we was battling. And everybody was the biggest battle in the school in New York, and, and it was crazy. So I beat all three of them. So there was a kid... Latino kid came up to me. He said, yo, Dougie. He said, yo, man, that battle was crazy in the school, man. He said, yo, I'm going to tell you, man, yo, I need to put your name on the wall. He wrote graffiti. He said, I want to put your name on the wall. I said, nah, man, that's all right. He said, man, everybody in the school is going crazy, man, of what you did. He said, man, just let me put your name on the wall. I said, nah, man, I'm cool. I don't need to do all of that. He said, Dougie, I'm telling you, just for me, let me just write. He said, what you want me to write? Just to say anything that comes to your mouth. I said, I said, just write, just write Dougie's Fresh. Like Dougie's Fresh, like Dougie's Nice, you know what I'm saying? He wrote on the wall, Doug E, he wrote Dougie Fresh. So I came to school, (laughs) Willie, and every day they'd be like, yo, what's up, Fresh? Yo, what's good, Fresh? Yo, what's good? And I'm like 14. And he said, yo, what's good, Fresh? Yo, what's good? Yo, Fresh. And after that, that's how I got the name. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and so I said it must have been meant for me to have it and then afterwards when I got to at around 20 something I changed it legally because I just did not feel 
right carrying another man's name and I have no relationship to him. That's crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? So, so are your kids' last name Everybody's fresh? Your kids, your, your Everybody. wife, everybody's fresh. Everybody's That's dope, fresh. Though. That's dope. Everybody's fresh. <laughs> and you know what? They That's are dope. They are the new generation. Yeah. And because I couldn't carry my father's last name because I never knew him. Yeah. And then when my mother passed, my mother, I kept asking, I say, could you tell me? I said, because I would ask her. My mother had Alzheimer's when she passed. And, you know, I said... Ma, could you tell me who my father? Why you want to know that? What you need to know that for? So I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. I never knew this. Through my whole life. And then afterwards, six months after, that's where I found out. But I was already fresh. I was putting together a family reunion about 20 years ago. <laughs> and I'm calling around trying to get names and, you know, fathers, mothers, children, and I'm trying to piece together the tree, right? Yeah. So I start asking certain people, like, well, well what was your daddy, your, you know, your daddy's name? And they're like, well, what you need that for? They're like, what, what, what you need to know, know, know all that for? Like, <laughs> like damn, you, you don't want everybody to know who your daddy is? Who you really, uh, now, now uh, uh, didn't want to give me so Like, I, it's a secret. After I, man, after, after about two of those, two or three of those, I, so man, bad. I'm done with this. I'm not <laughs> even going Because I'm the type of person that if I do something, I want to do it right. Right. And I had a vision to do it in that manner. And, I, you know, I just didn't feel like, man, how can we put this tree together if nobody is willing to actually give up the information that they have? Like, who is your father? You know, like, do you know? And th in, in this case, it was a situation where each one said they knew who their father was. They, they wasn't willing to share the information. So Ain't that crazy? I just kept it moving, man. And it was my mother that said it to me. She said, what do you need to know that? But she yeah. said, and then she told him, she said, you don't even have to tell him who you are. He's already who he is. What difference is it going to make? She probably put some cameras in your room Bro, after that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but I wanted to ask you a question about a long time ago, you told me about this place that you would go to in overseas somewhere. It was not Iran, Iraq. Or Azerbaijan. Something. There we go. Yeah. You remember you told me. Yeah. And you told me how you was out there and it was a nice place. Do you still go there? No, I don't go anymore, but my, my kids visit sometimes. But I, I haven't. Uh, I lived there for 10 years with, with the family. Yeah. 10 years. And it was a great experience, man, because it showed me that there was a bigger part of the world than just America. Right. If you you got to get out of America. You really, if for no other reason, just go leave America to watch TV. That's right. <laughs> watch TV in another country. <laughs> and you'll see, a, man, you're talking about night and day. Watch the news, you know, from different views. But what made you go there? My kid's mom is a mechanical engineer. Okay. So she was working for one of the big uh, the energy companies. And they were, you know, building infrastructure out there. They were... You know, they built infrastructure out there. They were actually out there digging for oil. Right. And um, as they was doing it, they was building up infrastructure. Mm. So my thing with her was always, look, I'm cool to move out of the country, but if we go somewhere, I have to be able to either do music or real estate. Right. Because that was my primary 
gigs at the time. That's mine too. Music, real estate. So she was on this short list of 10 people to move up in her company every year for the last three years in a row. They kept asking her to go manage a, a team overseas. Right. And we, we first moved to Paris. We were living in downtown Paris. And, you know, at, a, at the hotel while our house was being built. And so as we're... Where was the house being built? In Paris. Okay. So we're in Paris and stuff, and, you know, while she's at work, I'm with the kids, and, you know, I'm seeing all this different stuff <laughs> going on, right? And I remember one time being at the pool, and the attendant comes out, and she says, uh, you may want to get the kids out of the pool because at 7 o'clock people start taking off their clothes. Wow. So... Me with my freak ass, I'm like, uh, yo, uh, take the kids upstairs. I need to see this. I need. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying to myself, I need to see this so I can have the experience. So I can have right, some, right. I get something it. to talk I get about, it. I right? Get it. I get it. She takes the kids upstairs. Sure enough, at seven o'clock on the dot, bald head, fat belly white dude come uh, disrobes and climbs into the pool. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, right after him. Two chicks come in, boom, get in the pool. And now I'm in the pool, on the far end of the pool, trying to look, try, I'm trying to appear to be inconspicuous. <laughs> I'm acting like this don't bother me. This is this is regular stuff. This is what I do. I'm a boss. You know, I do right, this. Right, right. This ain't nothing to me. It's nothing. It's nothing. Right, right, you know? right, right. But I, on the inside, I'm like, I'm like, these motherfuckers is freaks. <laughs> <laughs> So after a while, I think I may have stayed there maybe about a good 15, 20 minutes. Right, because like, they get to really get the what's going yeah, on. Like 10 people had gotten into the pool, wow. and then I went on and got up, got out. Another day, I'm lying in the bed. We got adjoining rooms. Mm -hmm. I'm lying in the bed watching television. Out of nowhere, the kids are in the other room with their mother. The door is open. The adjoining mm -hmm. door is open. I'm lying in the bed watching TV out of nowhere. They, wow. Sex. They just, wow. they, they bumping and grinding. It's going hard. Right. I scramble for the remote. I'm, bam. I called the front desk. I said, you know, like, hey, you know, I was watching television and out of nowhere in the dark. Film just came on. She said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Dennis. It comes on at 10 o'clock every night. There's nothing we can do about it. Wow. Just regularly. You ain't got to order. It just comes on. Wow. Then you go out. I'm, I'm going out into to the streets. That's crazy. I go out into the streets, and I see these women with these sheer dresses on. Not all, but enough to make me go like, this place is too damn freaky for me. Right. Uh, women wearing sheer dresses and pants where you can see through. Right. You can like, actually see through. Yeah, just, they're like open sex, sexually. Yeah. One, wow. Yeah, and one time... This would this is what made me call her and say, Hey, we gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> I got the kids, we at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I got the kids with me. We're standing behind this little young couple, couldn't have been more than 19, 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. They're French kissing. They give they show us the meaning of French kissing right in front of us at wow. McDonald's. They just start Going for it. Hard. And my kids ain't ever seen nothing like that before. So they doing like this. They're, mm -hmm. at the time, they're five and nine. Uh, and they're doing like this. 
shocked. <laughs> they looking straight up like, what the, you know? Shocked. So I call, I say, hey, look, uh, hey, we got to get out of here. Uh, this place too freaky. So she had a friend that worked in Azerbaijan and she was like, hey, you know, uh, they got a position out here, you know, yeah, and Willie can do uh, real estate out here because it's, 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 it's taking off. That's why we got into that. That's right. She's like, it's taking off. So we did a reconnaissance visit uh, with the kids. Mm-hmm. We go to the pool. Uh, before we even made the decision to actually move there, we go to the pool. My son comes over. Dad, this is my friend. He's going to be in class with me. And then... Ten minutes later, my my daughter, Dad, this is my friend. She's gonna be in class with me. Right, and we was like, okay, we can do this, cause that's how we was more concerned about the kids than the us. The kids, the family. Yeah, we were concerned about them being able to adjust. Right, you know, and uh, they kick right in, cause my kids really grew up in the type of culture where, which they grew up in a room in a household where we uh, we taught them to, to judge people by the content of their character. You know, so instead of their color, instead of their color, that's yes, what we sir. did. We did that, and uh, so my kids make friends easy all over the world. My my kids got kid friends literally all over the world. Like so, when we would when they was being raised, we always took at least two vacations. Uh, we took three vacations a year. Mm-hmm. My son got to pick one wherever you wanted to go in the world. My daughter had to pick wherever she wanted to go in the world. And then we take a family vacation. Right. Well, me and their mom wanted yeah, to go. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So they got friends. They went to they went to international schools. So they got friends literally all over the world. They, they, it's almost nowhere they can go. That's beautiful. Where they man. don't have somebody pull up on them. And that, and do, do you see the difference in your kids because of that? Yeah, I do. I do. They're, they're more like international kids, meaning like yeah. they're grounded. They have this base, but they have the ability to expand. Yeah. They know that the world is bigger than the United States. Right. They know that, you know. And they're, they're, they're not limited in how they see the world. And that's important because the world has so much to offer, especially if you are, you know, ready for what it has to offer. You go to these different places and you coming in there without this preconceived idea because America has the tendency to paint a lot of places and make it look a certain way. And it may not even be that way. That's why I was so fascinated by what you told me. And I never forgot that. And I remember you told me, you said, yeah, the real estate out there is something else. You said, yeah, I'm doing some things out there. And, you know, and I said that, uh, you know, I said, when I get a chance, you know, I would ask you about that again. Yeah, I was, I was, um, me and my partner, my partner's family was from Colfax, Louisiana. Mm Mm-hmm. And Don, Don Churchman, his family was from Colfax, Louisiana. His mom and dad owned a restaurant called Fisherman Worth, Worth that was in, that in the town before. center, right? He, and they also owned a, a water delivery company like Ozarka, right? Mm-hmm. So he and I decided, you know what, let's do some business together. So we were going to, we were, we were starting a cable company, the first cable company in the country. Mm. He and I were starting, wow. you know, we, we, we were doing that. We were in the middle of that. And he, he went back to Colfax, Louisiana to visit family 
to visit his grandmother, he, his mother, his father, and his fiance. They're there for the Christmas holidays, and a, a gas leak, they get a gas leak, and the house explodes and kill everybody except his fiance. Uh, she almost died, too. Like, she almost got it. Like, she was almost out of here, but she survived. But killed everybody else. R.I.P. to the churchmen. But, That's yeah, that, it was, and he was the coolest dude. One of, one, it was really good dude, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, man. Uh, and it, it goes to show you, man, how, how you really can be here today and gone tomorrow, Absolutely. as the great UGK would say. But, man, uh, it's been real, man. Oh, I really do appreciate you coming, man, and imparting your wisdom and, you know, showing the love. And, and, and also, like, th- this will serve as a reminder to your contributions, you know, yeah. to, to, to hip-hop and society in general, man, because, you know, you transcend hip-hop. You transcend hip-hop, and, and that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, late, and, I, late. and thank you for having yeah. me, man. I mean, you know, yeah. I wanted to come here because I feel the work that you're doing and the voice that you carry is one of honesty and it's truth. And it, sometimes honesty and truth creates a little discomfort for people. And you seem to always, from the time I've known you up till now, you've seen, you're, you seem as the same guy, but just wiser and have even more tools to know how to communicate at a higher level. And I think what you're doing here is, is, uh, is, a, is a beautiful thing and it's gonna change a lot of lives. You know, it's, um, I got a saying that I live by. I say it's not the big things that people say, it's the little things that people do, you know? And uh. so, you know, it's, it's the <laughs> yeah. real, it's the real. I like so, that. Yeah, so what you're doing to me is, you know, this is this is the major contribution because, you know, me and LL was talking one time and I think Run, we were all on a call together and I was telling him how, you know, hip-hop is like a puzzle and we're all just bringing a piece to it. And each piece is important because that's the only way you'll complete the puzzle. <laughs> Some people think that their piece is more important than another. But when you look at the puzzle and it's incomplete, you'll realize how important that little piece was. You said a mouthful. Your piece of the puzzle could be half of the puzzle. That's right. But the puzzle is still incomplete without the smallest piece. That's right. My man, Dougie Fresh, ladies and gentlemen. Much respect, my brother. No more talk. (laughs) Oh, that's it.